This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by my favorite insulin pump ever, the Omnipod. The podcast is also sponsored today by the tool that, I'm just going to come out and say it, is really half of the reason that Arden's A1C is where it is, Dexcom. I'm telling you what, continuous glucose monitoring is the way to go. I'm about to lose my mind. Owen. Howdy. Owen, good morning. Good morning. You're one of my fastest turnaround uh, from, hey, I'd like to be on the podcast or recording the podcast ever. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's really fast. Technology's great. Makes things easy. Um, <laughs> I thought your idea for a topic was really great. So um, I just start and then we'll just follow the conversation and see where it goes, if that's okay with you. Sure. Well, just introduce yourself the way you would like to be known. Welcome to episode 96 of the Juice Box Podcast. Boy, the title of this one is going to really tease you because this one's with Owen, but Owen just got a Dexcom CGM like a week before we spoke. So we spend like the first part of the show talking about management before we actually get to his topic. And what's the topic today? Well, let me just tell you the title of this episode. It's called Owen Gets Hit by a Car. And that's not the only crazy surprise that Owen uh, tells me about. He's in a band. His mom was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes after he was. Stay tuned, kids. This episode's a little crazy. So I'm Owen. I uh, live in Michigan, and I've been diabetic since September 9th, 1996. <laughs> 10 years. Yeah. Um, you are... I don't want to... I'm guessing, but you're about you were diagnosed about 16 days after my daughter. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, she was um, right after her second birthday in August of 2006. It just struck, oh, yeah. just, just struck me when you said that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how you know the date. So, uh, so 10 years with type one diabetes. How old are you now? I'm 32. Last time I checked, 33. I can't remember my age, so <laughs> I, um, yeah, I'm at the point where I have to actually start calculating and carrying over the one and stuff like that. I spent a uh, an entire delightful year of my life a couple of years ago believing I was a year younger than I was, <laughs> and I have to admit it didn't change anything. It just made me happy. So I, I highly, <laughs> right, I highly recommend it for anyone. Honestly. Um, how do you, jeez, uh, 10 years ago, would you get like a little like four cent freestyle meter and some needles and some Novolog? What'd they give you? Oh, actually, I think this would have been 20 years ago, uh, 96. So that, yeah. Oh, oh, jeez, what am I doing? My math is, wait a minute, 96, <laughs> 2000. Wait, so you've had diabetes for 20 years. Right, right. Oh, so my, so again, Owen, I don't know how many of the past episodes you've listened to, <laughs> but people who have listened to the podcast for a long time are going to go, 
This is where Scott's going to mention how bad his math skills are. So my daughter has not been alive for 20 years, Owen. You were polite to keep uh, going with the conversation. Um, <laughs> well, I hadn't even done the calculation until, I, until he just mentioned it again. So. Let's start over. We'll play the music. I was ready to go with 10 years, you know. <laughs> Let's play the music again. We'll start the whole podcast <laughs> over. And uh, we'll say that Owen's had, had type 1 diabetes since he was, wow, 12 years old? Uh, yeah, yeah, 12 years old. 20 years ago. 10 years and about 16 days before my daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Let's stop talking about numbers and math right now. And, and you know what it proves, really, um, that math is must not be that important in the day-to-day management of diabetes because I do a really good job with my daughter and I... I can't do, obviously, I didn't know 1996 was 20 years ago. So anyway. It helps to have a machine that does all this for you. So. <laughs> it certainly does. <laughs> it certainly does. So, okay, so 20 years ago, wow, that's a different game, right? What, how did you, how did you, Very. how were you taught to manage when you were 12 years old, uh, 20 years ago? So uh, I was diagnosed, I, I used to live in Texas, and this would have been an e- a hospital in East Texas. And uh at at the hospital that I, that I was diagnosed at, uh, it was kind of an old school calorie counting and just plain old insulin dosing kind of uh, training. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't really call it training. It was like you get kind of the run through. You watch like a at that point what what would have been like a ten or twenty year old video, maybe on Laserdisc or something, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and then. But they did refer us to a specialist, an endocrinologist in Dallas. So I went to Dallas and uh, got got much more educated that way. Wow. But back in that back in that time, I was probably using uh, regular N as the long term insulin and regular R for that fast acting meal time injections. But that's interesting. So even the place where you were diagnosed, who gave you tools still had to send you somewhere different to get more education. Right. I think it, it has a lot to do with uh, probably what we'll be discussing soon is the, the way the hospitals are set up for diabetes yeah. care and education. Well, I, they're not, there's not one universal program, so they're kind of on their own when it comes to that. And uh, at this point in 1996, I don't know if, a type two diabetic would have would have even received different information from what I got. It was basically like you know sugar's bad. Uh, they I remember there was a green printout that had a list of uh, types of food and like how many carbs, or maybe it was calories that they had, and and then it was just some maybe some kind of rudimentary. If you eat this much, take that much kind of That's kind simple. of training. Wow. Okay, um, so do you use different technology? Obviously, you use different technology now, but what do you what do you matching with at the moment? Uh, right now, I'm using an Omnipod, which I've had for probably around nine months or so. Okay. And uh, uh, last week, I got a CGM. I got it the Dexcom G5. Oh wow! Did you have an insulin pump before the Omnipod? Uh, no, on before that, I was on the uh, pen needles. Oh wow! So you were. 19 years doing just multiple daily injections, no glucose monitor. Now you have an insulin pump and, and the CGM you've, you've, you've warped forward, obviously. How, <laughs> what's, what's the difference been like for you? Was there, was the transition, um, was it smooth? Did it, was it frustrating at times? Uh, the transition for me was actually pretty smooth. Um, 
read through the you know training information, watched a couple videos for the Omnipod, and I was using the Omnipod as my uh, meter too, so that made it st- st- kind of streamlined things a little bit. So that was useful, and uh, uh, so I, I think I got it, the hang of it pretty quickly. Wow, that's great. Are you? How would you characterize how you use the glucose monitor? Is it? Have you just? Are you using it as an alarms to kind of tell yourself when something's going wrong, or are you are you using it to try to keep your blood sugar in a certain space? Um, I'm trying to be a good diabetic, so <laughs> I would check before every meal. Um, and I think the reason I got the CGM was before I received the CGM, I was uh, uh, not confident all the time at like what my blood sugar. Sometimes you can like when your blood sugar is really under control, you can tell when it's going up or down. Like just internally, you kind of know what's happening. You're able to but feel. Some, you're able to feel your blood sugar as it as it kind of vacillates around. Right. Like I would. I would feel if it was 120 and going down. I could kind of feel that, mm-hmm. and and know that I was. You know, I check my blood sugar. It would be 120 or so, or 80 or 90, and then I would know that it was falling a little bit, but based on the way I was feeling. But then, if you get a cold or you know stress or all these other things that happen. Uh, then it kind of throws off your your kind of detective system. So, yeah. oh, I gotcha. uh, so that's one thing I, I think that's been really helpful. So, what was happening before I got the CGM was I would I would feel like my blood sugar was low. I would check it and it wasn't, or I'd feel like it was high and it would be not that high. Yeah. So, uh, so I was also curious what was happening with the food after I'd eat it and kind of when the insulin was acting. So it was this thing where if you're not pre-bolusing, which was kind of a new concept to me recently, if you're not pre-bolusing and you eat a meal and you kind of follow the instructions and take your Novolog after the meal, then you'll feel great for a little while. Then after you know a couple of hours, your blood sugar is spiking. And if you, have, if you don't have a CGM, you don't really realize that. Yeah, I, I genuinely believe that the, the advent of... of- you know, close to real time glucose monitoring and being able to see it constantly has changed the idea from, you know, you'll count your carbs, you give yourself this much insulin, your blood sugar is probably going to go all over the place, but you won't die today. And, you know, you'll get to live as much as your life as possible. And hopefully that'll be mean a long time. And I think it's now switched to, um, we, you know, with a, with less effort than you may have been putting in before, you might be able to keep your blood sugar in as good of a range as everybody else has theirs in. Um, oh yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it just, it's it's fascinating what this one step in technology has done. Being able to um, just to be able to see where it's headed and to be able to make kind of like micro adjustments to it. And you know, I guess you could do it with with injections, but you know, you'd be probably injecting yourself a lot. Uh, but you know, the pump idea is just you know to be able to put in a tiny bit more insulin. Like my daughter's blood sugar this morning. She got up. It was one thirty-five, and she's been getting, she's been getting high in the mornings for school. And the first week, I thought it was the, I, I did see like school anxiety the first few days. Then she got a cold, which I didn't know about for a couple of days. So I think the anxiety went away. Then we moved into a cold, and then the cold went away. And now I'm like, wow, I think her her basal rates need to be adjusted. So this morning, I sent her to school with a thirty percent increased temp basal, and was just as aggressive with the morning time blood sugars as I had been days before, 
but with no luck. Before, I was hitting 140s and they were staying at 140. I ended up giving her way more insulin than I needed to, and she'd just sit at 140. And so today, with the 30% increase in her basal, I bolused for the 140, and she's 89 right now, and nice and steady. And so, <laughs> and so this is just something that on MDI, I don't even know where you would begin to, to make that adjustment. I think what would happen is you would just go, well, you know what, 140 is not that bad. You, you, you know, and you'd probably yeah. just, you'd probably just go with it. So uh, I'm very grateful for it, and and it, and I, I like that you're onto it too. So what what made you switch? Because 20 years is a long time. I have a friend I talk about every once in a while in the abstract. Mike, he made a switch to different technology, but it was it was difficult for him to change what he was doing because of how long he had been doing it. Did you find that, or it sounds like no, maybe? I was. I mean, by the time I switched, I'd. Well, so if you rewind a bit, a little bit yeah. uh, back in around two, let's see, I think twenty ten or so. Uh, the thing is, here in in America, you know, your insurance abilities are based on your job. So, I had the ability where I was kind of flirting with switching to an Omnipod mm-hmm. at the time, and then left the job. You know, a few months later after I, after that process was started, so wound up not switching to the Omnipod and just sticking with pins and needles, uh, you know, for the next five years or six years or so. So now I'm at a good job. I've been there long enough that I feel comfortable and I've got, you know, decent enough healthcare insurance that I can afford, you know, to switch over. So, uh, and there was this weird thing. uh, (laughs) I've mostly been listening to your podcast, you know, from people that work at these companies. I've heard you mention a couple of things and I, I think communication with your endocrinologist is one of those things that's kind of kind of tricky because it all depends on the personality of the person you're talking to mm-hmm. for whatever reason my endocrinologist from my recollection and I, which may be flawed the first time i mentioned uh, a pump or something my understanding was that he was kind of down on the idea mm-hmm. there that he was like it's not going to solve all the problems or something like that and uh but <laughs> But then I think after a, another year or so after I brought it up again, because I was doing more research on my own and kind of trying to sort out things, I was really getting frustrated with the morning blood sugars because I would either eat a snack at night before bed and then wake up with super high blood sugars or not eat a snack and then wake up with low blood sugar in the middle of the night and then wake up with really high blood sugars no matter what I did almost. And uh, so I was really really looking forward to switching to some to a different way of managing you know diabetes and uh so whenever i brought it up the second time he's like oh yeah it's a great idea so <laughs> i think the first time it was one of those misunderstandings or something where it just uh, either he wasn't understanding what i was asking or i didn't phrase it in the right way but you know it's it just one of those little kinks in the in the whole process of yeah you know making changes there's a lot of little Kinks, you know, like I never, would have, it never would have thought until you said it a minute ago that that you didn't want to move on to technology that may have been more expensive because you didn't feel settled at your job right away. You, you know, like like even just that idea hadn't occurred to me. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that you might you might accept something you don't even want just because you're like, well, I don't want to get started with this whole thing, then find out this job doesn't work out, and then I have to lose it again because I think that can be terrible to to sometimes to to see the other side and then have it taken away from you might be worse than having never seen it um right you, you know so that's really something but okay so is there something that 
that facilitated your switch over? Just it, it didn't. There was no big moment in life. It's just it was time and you did it. I think it was mostly had to do with the. Uh, I wasn't really bothered with injecting insulin, but uh, I think what was really starting to kind of wear on me was the morning blood sugars. You know, I would wake up and they would just be high every every morning, and I couldn't figure out a way to to stop that. And it was just a guessing game. Wear on you physically and, or wear on you intellectually? Like, were you just like, I'm tired of this fight? Or did you feel? Uh, both. both. <laughs> I mean, you wake up, when you wake up and your blood sugar is, you know, 300 or something every day. And, uh, and you know, at least 200. Then, and I mean, it's really wrong to be celebrating a, a blood sugar that's under 150 when you wake up. Because you just feel bad the whole time and you don't. I mean, once once you're on that level of blood sugar for a long period of time, uh, I mean, it's really a, ro- a roller coaster because you're correcting, taking a corrective dose in the morning. Then later on during the day, you get a, a good blood sugar. Then you eat, and if you don't have a CGM, you don't really realize how it's kind of jumping up and down after that the rest of the day. But trying to sort out the morning blood sugars and also uh, just trying to keep a tighter control of it my a1c had been going up as well i was up into the eights for a while fair to say so, fair to say the last nine months have been better yes much yeah, better yeah. <laughs> well and so how do you wake up now Hey, the Dexcom G5 Mobile Continuous Glucose Monitoring System is the first FDA-approved device to let you make treatment decisions without pricking your finger. Just think about what that means. Sure, less finger sticks, but that's just the beginning. The future is now, baby! To begin managing your type 1 diabetes with the same great technology that has helped us to keep Arden's A1C between 5.8 and 6.2 for over three years, visit www.dexcom.com forward slash juice box or click on the link in the show notes. Oh, you know what? I nearly forgot to read the disclaimer. Hold on. I'm going to go deep voice. Finger sticks are still required for calibration or if your symptoms or expectations do not match readings or when taking medications containing acetaminophen. Go to dexcom.com forward slash juice box to find out more. Now let's talk about, that's right, the Omnipod. The world's only tubeless insulin pump, sure, but my only tubeless insulin pump, more importantly. When you hear me talking about making these fine adjustments or Arden going out and playing softball in the heat for, you know, five games in a row in the middle of July, she's wearing an Omnipod during that. She's always wearing an Omnipod. Arden's been using Omnipod since she was four, before she even went to school. You know, we didn't want to send Arden to school with injections, and so we needed, uh, you know, we thought we needed an insulin pump. You know, we made that decision back then just for such simple reasons, right? Like, oh, we don't want our kid to go to school and have to get injections from a stranger. But, you know, in the ensuing years, all that insulin pumping has brought to us, I mean, was really just never imagined by us in the beginning. So I'm kind of asking you to do the same thing for a minute. When you think about getting an insulin pump right now, like wonder to yourself, like what does that mean to me? But understand that after you make the switch, an entire world that you don't know exists opens up. You know, I always talk about the Dexcom and how it helps Arden's A1C stay where it is, but Omnipod has a huge, huge part in that as well. Okay, you want to go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. 
And what they're going to do is they're going to send you a non-functioning but, you know, exact replica demo pod so you can try it on and see if you like it. Then you can just decide, is this for me, before you even go ahead with it. It's simple. Just go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box or click on the link in your show notes and you can get started today with the same great insulin pump that my daughter uses. Uh, now I wake up uh, in the mid 100s usually. This morning I woke up around 200, but not really sure why I didn't have any snacks or anything overnight. So I'm also now that I have the CGM, I'm I'm getting a better idea of what types of food process differently overnight. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's so much information that comes back uh, <laughs> from from the glucose monitor. It's it's almost. I, I, I try to absorb it in a very unconscious way. You know what I mean? Like I don't sit and I, I don't have that kind of mind to begin with, but I don't mm-hmm. sit down and cognitively say this happened and then this happened. Like, I, I get, it's hard to put into words really. Like I just have a feeling for, <laughs> for what happens and, and what's going like last night. Um, Arden lost a, a notebook two weeks into the school year and she's like, I got to go get a notebook. So I took her to like an office store and we grabbed the notebook and then I was like, well, as long as we're out here at the shopping center, like I need to grab something at like a home store. I grab something here. And she's like, uh, I have to get a book at Barnes & Noble. And then I was at Barnes & Noble. And she says, I want to get a uh, an iced tea lemonade at Barnes & Noble. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I've never been with her when she's done this. This always seems to be mm-hmm. something that happens with her and my wife. And uh, and so the woman's, you know, the girl at the counter, she makes this, the iced tea. And she goes, sweet or unsweetened? And I'm, I'm not saying anything. And Arden's like, sweetened. And I was like, okay. So um, I gave her, you know, is this little medium cup, a little plastic cup. It had a lot of ice in it. I don't know how much. I had no idea how much sugar the girl was going to put. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, all right. So while she's making that, you know, crank up your basil. I had given her, excuse me, I'd given her a little bit of insulin going into the store because I knew something was going to happen at that little counter. And then I, <laughs> I just sort of randomly gave her like four units. I was like, four units should do it. Like that's, that's how I felt. Like I was like, okay. And she's like, mom usually gives me three. And I'm like, yeah, I, I feel like I remember you being high after these. So I was like, let's just do four. <laughs> and, and it worked out fine. You, you know, like it, it really did. But I don't know how many carbs were in that thing. I, I really don't. Like I just, I have no feeling for it whatsoever. Um, but I do know that that occurred to me that it was about four units. And that all comes from the constant feedback from, from the glucose monitor, being able to see, hey, she ate all right. this and this is what happened. And eventually you just, you know, it's sort of you learn without knowing you're learning, I guess. Um, right. You know, and, and, and the CGM provides you the ability to, if you're wrong, you can find out pretty quickly. You know, you, I mean, yeah, you can miss. Within it. an hour or two, you're not, you're not going to wait until you have a low blood sugar or, or you know, blood sugar over whatever your target is you can yep. start to correct before it gets out of control yep. you can you can miss and you can like correct course on the fly you don't have to do the old uh well it's been three hours let me test and see what happened oh 425 i must have not given myself enough insulin i will now spend the next five hours trying to fix this and you know right. feeling terrible and everything yeah it's a new man it's a new world and if this podcast is for one thing it's for that um you know Obviously, these things get they get recorded out of order, they get listened to out of order, and all that stuff. But I'm I'm going to share something with you, um, just because it's the conversation we're having, and and um and then we'll get on to more more of why you actually are on the podcast. But sure, I got a message last night from somebody who I won't I won't identify because they didn't say that was okay. But 
It says, I just wanted to send you a quick message to say thank you for the podcast. My daughter's endo appointment Monday, her A1C came down from 13.6 at diagnosis to 5.8 in five months. I totally believe that's mostly because of listening to the podcast from the beginning saved me from the run high to avoid lows trap and taught me how to use insulin proactively. They're getting a CGM, they're getting an Omnipod, and they're even trying to do, they're hoping to get those things into a better job even. Um, and then there's a thank you and everything. And, and, and here's why I say that. Some, there will be a handful of people who are like, he's saying that because it's a humble brag, but it's not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's what, and by the way, I'm 45, I shouldn't even know what a humble brag is. But because of this podcast, I have to know. And so, um, well, I'm saying that because this basic idea, we're not talking about anything here on the podcast. It's super difficult. You know, it's not, it's not rocket science and I'm not, a, I'm not some sort of a diabetes ninja. It's, it's the idea of enough insulin timed correctly um, pretty much the whole thing. You, you know what I mean? Like that's, it's pretty much the whole thing. So instead of a newly, Absolutely. a newly diagnosed person being told, well, but 180 is fine for now. We'll figure it out. Uh, you know, if she gets up to 250 after dinner, that's okay. We'll get that back. Like instead of that, someone just reframing what the expectation is and saying, you know what the expectations to be, if your blood sugar starts getting up over 140, you should do something about it. If, you know, if you're getting high after a meal, you've misbalanced the, the insulin somehow. Here's how insulin works. Now figure out how exactly it works in you and apply that. These are not, these are not things that physicians end up traditionally telling people because before people could see their glucose values in real time, there was no way to talk about it unless you were going to tell them, I need you to test your blood sugar every 15 minutes. You know, and so now that it's changed, we need the advice and ironically, Owen, nothing that you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. But when people have those thoughts, those suggestions or examples of how they do things, um, mm -hmm. we, you know, you have to you have to be able to I don't know, there's just I, I like the idea of the the expectation being changed. And doctors, I'm hoping We'll get on board with that, give people the technology that helps them make these decisions and start them off with, hey, your A1C could be 5.8 five months from now, not in a few years if everything goes well, hopefully we can get you down to the sevens. Like that's right. just, you know, I, I mean, that's what this podcast is for. That's why I do it every week and it's what I'm hoping for. And when people get send these notes, it just tells me it helps me to keep going. So, because I have to be honest with you, Owen, I'm supposed to be cleaning the carpet in the living room right now. I hope my wife's not listening, but um, <laughs> I'm not doing that as you can tell. Um, we're doing this because I think this is really important. So, um, well, I agree. So like I told you, uh, on, uh, Twitter, like that, I consider this podcast, uh, kind of a public service. I mean, I, I learned a lot from watching a couple of videos from the uh, I guess the creator of the open artificial pancreas system. Yeah, learned a lot, a lot of concepts from that, mm -hmm. and uh, but also the podcast here. Uh, since listening to the podcast, since I don't know, I heard the idea a few days ago, and I think yesterday or the day before, I started doing the actual pre bolus. Yeah, uh, which so going back to when I was on regular insulin, uh, I guess Humulin R. You would have to pre-bolus, like you would, you, whether it was, you wouldn't even call it bolusing at the time, but you would just, you know, you knew that the reaction time or absorption time of that insulin was so slow that you would have to take it 15 to 30 minutes before you eat. Last time I was on Humulin R between jobs, uh, 
which is when it was, you know, generic for, you know, $20 a bottle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, I would take, you know, if my blood sugar was over 200 and I would take Humulin R, it would still be an hour or two before I would eat. And that can be really hard to hard to do sometimes. Yeah. But uh, with now that I've got the CGM and I can see what's going on, I've a couple of things have a couple of major changes that I'm I'm doing now are that instead of scheduling my meal times to be you know two o'clock in the afternoon for lunch or uh, you know eight o'clock at night for dinner, I'm actually watching my blood sugar. And if I'm not hungry, I'm not going to force myself to eat at a particular time. I'm going to wait till my blood sugar is at the range where it should be. And then 30 minutes before, 15 minutes before, uh, I'll start the bolus for the meal and maybe extend it a little bit if it's going to be a higher bolus so that it's, you know, kind of absorbing the best way. That, that, I, and I find that's I, I can see the, the results now. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's incredible. Like before I did this, I would, with, Having the CGM, I would eat a meal, then take the bolus, then watch the blood sugar ramp up, you know, mm. for a couple of hours and ramp down. Now I'm able to kind of see it bump up just a little bit up, up to like 130, 140 or so and uh, and stay there or kind of slowly decrease over time. So, so and it's I, I am just tickled to hear you say that I, I really genuinely am and and it's making me think of uh the other night i was making just cheeseburgers for dinner so on the grill cheeseburgers and i um i sliced up some some russet potatoes and soaked the starch out of them and i put them in the oven and i kind of convectioned them down to sort of baked french fries um arden arden came home from school her blood sugar was we, we've been getting she's been seeing lows after school so the, it didn't look like it was going to happen that day. And so we we're like holding down. I'm like, maybe we finally have this right for this new school year. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, 70, it went to 75 diagonal down. Then it was 60. I was like, hey, this is, it's it. It's happening. You know, and so she was slow to get to a snack. And then she hit 55 diagonal down. And I was like, you know, you're going to have to have half a juice because I don't think the snack's going to hit you in time. So she does mm-hmm. all that. And I think there was the question of how many cookies should I have? And there was, I think we got lost in translation and I kept cooking dinner. And then she went over on our sofa and she settled back into the sofa and she's doing her homework. Well, she happens to sit, um, she covers her CGM with her, with her hip. And so mm-hmm. it, it loses connection to the receiver. And so now there's this 30 minute time where everything seems okay because no one's getting any feedback and it takes 30 minutes to tell you it's lost its signal, which by the way, um, I don't want to say that I know anything because I feel like I signed an NDA, but one day you should probably be able to change that 30 minutes down to whatever you want. Um, that could be fixed. Yep. And, yeah. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I think all of those time frames on the Dexcom one day will be user adjustable, but that's just me guessing out into the world. Anyway. You know what? This tangent, this is a good tangent. Uh, one, one thing you've talked about recently on, uh, so I've listened to uh, the podcast with, uh, I think one of the Dexcom uh, executives or employees, and then also someone from Insulet. And I, I got to completely agree with you that there should be some level of either like an easy mode versus an advanced mode selection that you can kind of opt in or out of more advanced settings. Uh, so, so, oh, and let me like say that, this you know? to make you comforted. <laughs> Let's speak in the abstract for a second. 
if a person like me was heard saying things like that to people like them and say those people were working on stuff like that, let's just say that's me, maybe that person would have been involved in those conversations and maybe that stuff will happen one day. Right. They're, they're aware that, it, it's it's these I would say happen. it's I would say it's coming on is that's what I would say yeah so these devices I, at this point they're a, kind of a one size fits all yes kind of user interface and uh, I think there's just maybe a growing recognition thanks to your podcast that that there are people of different levels of engagement and and uh, ability that would like to be able to to go in and and take more control. Well, you're, you're kind to give me any kind of credit, but th- these people are thinking, <laughs> these people are thinking about these things long before we knew they existed. So, um, yeah. it just takes them a while to get to it sometimes. No, no. Mm. So, so now that we're in this weird gap where I don't have any feedback from my daughter, CGM, we have significantly overcorrected her low and I have put food on the grill. I've got stuff in there and I look down, it's going to be, food's going to be ready in 20 minutes. Um, and, we realize her blood sugar is like 242 up. And I'm just like, like, there's a split second where I would have panicked in the past. I would have been like, no, the food's going to be done in 20 minutes. This is ridiculous. And what I did was I bolused for Arden's meal and I bolused aggressively to stop the arrows and to bring her blood sugar back down. Um, so I gave her a lot of insulin, let's say, and using the numbers isn't important because everybody's different, but I gave her a lot more than I normally would. And 25 minutes later, she had a big cheeseburger on a roll. She had French fries. I think she put ketchup on the French fries and she drank a juice box that was low carbs, but not no carbs. And an hour later, her blood sugar was like 170 which was a major win because all that food went in and we were 242 up and we still, she got to eat on time and that. And so, and she was not low afterwards, but again, without the CGM and all the experiences that come before, there's no way I get to do that. So yeah, you're, you're really flying blind without a CGM and that's, yeah, it's unfortunate because you're only getting snapshots of where you stand at any given time. And it's really hard to make a, an educated decision. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, and so, Let's tell people why why you emailed and what you wanted to or why you Twitter why you why you reached out on Twitter and what it is you wanted to talk. Do you have a recent experience you wanted to talk about? Yeah, so I was curious if you had had any guests that talked about their like an extended hospital visit before, or any, any kind of you know inpatient care mm-hmm. at a hospital. Have, have you had anyone kind of go no, into that territory? No one's ever spoken about it, but it's super interesting to me because um, though I'm adopted, my father, who is I was uh, my adopted father. Uh, mm-hmm. in his seventies had just an injury on his leg. He was a type, he had type two diabetes and mm-hmm. uh, he went into the hospital with an open wound on his leg. And I was fascinated by where they were comfortable keeping his blood sugar. And I tried, Let me guess, I, really high. <laughs> oh my God, really high. And I tried to get him to do something about it, but to be fair, we, we did not have the greatest relationship. I don't know that he was excited to listen to me. Um, I also yeah. think he was older and he was very happy to, to listen to the hospital. But I kept saying that wound can't heal, you know, if if your blood sugar is that high. And I want to say he was dead a week after I said that to him. Now, wow. he, he also had um, he, he had congestive heart failure too, 
but mm-hmm. it just it fast they just left it. I talked to the doctors. I talked to them. I said, really, you should try to get his blood sugar down. Well, we don't want him to get too low. And I was like, but he's t- he you just came in. He's two eighty. Like like what do you mean too low? Why don't you make him one eighty? You, you know what I mean? Like like just take something off of it. But so where were they? What were you in the? Are you comfortable saying why you were in the hospital? Uh, yeah. So I was I was in an uh, auto accident. I I was <laughs> I was getting back into good health, riding my bike, and uh, you know went through an intersection with the right of way and you know ran into a car so oh and you're like uh, i'm getting i'm getting my life together and then bang yeah (laughs) i I was like i'm getting 10 pounds i should lose those 10 pounds and then bam yeah Yeah, so you lost your shoes that was probably three pounds when you got it right so okay so i'm glad you didn't get hurt worse but you ended up in the hospital for how long i was in the hospital i was an inpatient for three weeks wow what kind of injuries did you have uh, my left ankle was shattered, left shoulder was broken, uh, fracture on my wrist. So my left left side of my body was kind of in shambles. How long ago was this? This was four yeah four years ago. Okay, okay. You, are four you, and a half are you so. doing well now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I've got metal plates. Everything's recovered. But uh, when the weather changes, you can feel it. You feel it, yeah. <laughs> Anytime you've get, got metal in, in your body. Before we get to the story, Owen. Uh, how do you exercise now? I'm assuming it's not with a bike. Uh, actually, <laughs> so I'm not great at exercising. Uh, I had started to bike because I live about two miles away from work, so I'd started biking to work again because right. now I've got more sidewalks than I did a year ago. There's been some recent construction here, mm-hmm. so I was like, great, I'll, I'll do this. But then right as I started to bike to work again, then it started the like the, the daytime hours are dwindling so it gets darker and darker around the time that i leave work so it's becoming less and less of a practical solution but the exercise that i find that i can stick with is usually outside of a gym okay it's usually riding a bike but it's uh, it's problematic (laughs) you're you're gutsier than i am i think i i have a accident on a bike with a car and end up with a plate in my body anywhere and i don't even roll anymore i probably wouldn't touch a a a cart in the grocery store again but uh (laughs) but you're you're braver than i am so okay so you're in the hospital with significant serious injuries um yes how how are you conscious when you come in yeah so I, i was conscious the whole time uh We'll skip past the resetting of the ankle and, and all that fun stuff. Please. <laughs> uh, by the time, by the time I'm up in and into whatever floor it was, um, you know, my legs in this kind of, you know, cast or not a, not a cast, but some kind of frame that kind of holds it in place. And there's you know constant you know morphine and pain medication, and that's that's going. So you're kind of in a mental state where you're not. Like I was conscious and cognizant, but you know, in and out of sleep the whole time. But anytime someone would come in and check my blood sugar or dose insulin or whatever, I was, I was aware of that. I think most of the time. So, and I can still remember uh, kind of what was going on because I started taking notes because it was it was just that bad. So, the hospital. I don't know if this is a. Well, before you mentioned your your uh, your adoptive father. Uh, my assumption was that they were geared more towards treating type 2 diabetics, but maybe that's just not the case. I think it's probably more of just a kind of a aversion to litigation where if someone's blood sugar is high, it's not an emergency and it's not as critical, it's not as time critical to treat 
as far as a hospital's perspective. Uh, I can see I can see the reasoning on that, but but when you're diabetic and your blood sugar is over 400 and 500 for a long period of time, it's 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 the worst. It's like it's, it's the worst feeling. I mean, it, that was almost as bad. I think it actually made the pain of the everything else worse as well, because your blood sugar is literally thicker when it becomes that high. Yeah, and it just exaggerates everything else that's happening in your body, and. Uh, yeah, so just constantly being dehydrated and thirsty and and just feeling awful. Uh, I think at some point I uh, had a I forget what you call them. I had you know the, I had a lawyer at that point, so I had they had hired someone to help kind of manage the hospital communications, which as unfortunate as I was to be in an in an accident. The the silver lining was that I was able to, you know, it was in a situation where I was able to have someone else kind of advocate for me and kind of take care of all the behind the scenes stuff that you shouldn't have to deal with if you're, if you're, you know, laid up in a hospital bed on pain med medication. Right. Uh, so, but, but my blood sugar, they were comfortable leaving it, you know, anywhere over 300 for long periods of time. And I kept asking them, so, well, a couple of things are happening there. So at the time, my, my long-term insulin was uh, Lantus, and I'd used Levomir before, but it just, the reaction times are different, and it has to be dosed differently. Uh, they're just two different medications. Yeah, sure. And so I, I knew how, how to dose myself for Lantus and how to keep everything under better control that way. The hospital only had Levomir, so... We had to go through this whole adjustment, you know, while I'm, you know, recovering from an accident. And uh, this is all before it, even the surgery. But uh, so I had to kind of, but then we had to also kind of battle because I was also, when I was awake, I would read up a little bit on uh, things like Levomir and I, th- I think they were using Humalog or something. But uh, so it, long story short, it was just a matter of, I had to kind of, combat i had to actually kind of i wouldn't say violently but (laughs) had to kind of really push repeatedly to kind of not completely take over my diabetes dosing and and care but to get them to to treat high blood sugars more aggressively and so did you ever i this is definitely something people should not do, and I'm not saying you should do this, but I've known a couple of people who have had their insulin snuck into hospitals for them by family members mm-hmm. uh, so they could take care of their own blood sugar. But you were probably in fairly bad shape too, right? So right. a lot of pain I, and stuff like that. And I had some of the medication and stuff with me because it was in my backpack when I was riding. Yeah. But uh, I was just being a good citizen and you know using <laughs> – Using their stuff, I didn't want to start mixing my insulin with their insulin and making that even more complicated. Because a, a hospitals are basically a very regimented system. So if a patient has this, they're going to get that. And you're, they're going to get this amount of that based on whatever their, yes. if there is any research, based on their research or based on but basically, what maybe one person decides that it should be. They have a process that's very clinical. And then 
it gets a human face put on it because a nurse or a doctor comes in the room. It's like, what we're going to do, what we're going to do. And it feels like it's tailored to you. But honestly, no matter who was laying in that bed, if they had diabetes and they had your injuries, they would have done the same exact thing. There was nothing tailored to you at all. It was, this, Absolutely. Is, yeah, this is what we do. And if you know you weigh this much, and this is how much insulin we're going to give you. And, and that was pretty much it. And so, you know, and so you pushed back aggressively. And did it get to a good point? Did they finally start getting your blood sugar lower? Or did you, were you not able to make headway? Did the attorney get involved? What happened? I think it, 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 it got better. I think it was still probably more in the upper hundreds and 200s. Uh, but even compared, that felt a lot better compared to the sure. four and five hundreds that, that was going on before that. Well, um, did you, I mean, what arguments did you use when you were trying to get them to do better? Like, like did you tell them I feel, I feel horrible? Um, like, yeah, I mean, I don't remember a lot of the details of the conversations. I just remember uh, requesting to see a couple of the doctors, you know, a little bit more frequently than they were coming in by default. So I think a lot of the doctors in that scenario were coming in once in the day to kind of check up on the previous day and then prescribe whatever's going to happen the rest of the day. And that, that happens within five minutes while they're walking through all the different rooms. So I was starting to request to see, I think I'd maybe requested either an endocrinologist or uh, maybe a, one of the internists or something. So I started to get a little bit more interaction with doctors at that point because the once a day you know adjustments weren't that's not enough for any any diabetic in any situation just once a day is not not frequent enough and, and once a day facilitated by somebody who doesn't have the first kind of cross-eyed they have no idea how to even handle what they're doing so it's once a day bad you know not great advice once a day right uh, yeah Let's, Basically, I don't know if they would say this, but you know, they're basically just trying to keep you out of the low blood sugar range. Yeah, they don't so want you to be low. As long as it's not low, then it's not a problem. For them. Right. <laughs> for you, it's a bit of an issue. <laughs> to be clear, it was yeah, definitely a problem yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, wow. Okay, so did that affect your healing process, do you think? I, I don't know. I, I think it got more under control. I, I was only there for three weeks. Uh it seems like the first few days were probably the worst. Uh, went into surgery, you know, got all that taken care of, and then went into physical rehab after that. So, uh, and then at that point, I think I was able to take more control over my, you know, dosing myself and things like that. Because it would be easy for someone to take a contrarian position here and say, well, if you were semi-conscious... I could see them being concerned about being able to bring a, a low blood sugar up, but that's they could give you a glucose drip if you if you were in trouble. It's not like you know. And by the way, in trouble is what you know. What would we call in trouble? Yeah, under seventy and falling. You know, like so right. they could have gotten you to one hundred and twenty and held you there. Uh, you know, there's 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 and so how much of that I think is. I wonder how much of that is effort, how much of that is like what you talked about. They don't want you to get too low because then it becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an emergency. Then a high blood sugar is not considered an emergency. A low one is. Um, they don't and you have different, they, different body types and different yeah, reactions to these things. So, But still, I think the overreaching lesson here is that when you get into a hospital, you, you tend to want to think, 
well, if I'm not safe here, where am I? You, you, you know, like the, these people will be, they'll know what to do. And you had such an opposite experience. And I think your experience is very common. I saw it with, like I said earlier with my dad, I've got friends that have been in the hospital with diabetes. They all tell the same story that the people just, there's no concern for keeping their blood sugar in, a, in even a reasonable um, range. Um, it's, 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 did you feel like it had any long-term effects on you? I guess you probably, you're okay now. So. I think it made me more, more resolved to handle things differently if I ever am admitted to a hospital again. Yeah. I, I After this was all over, I'd sent a letter to, I mean, there were a couple of other things that happened. Um, you know, before this, I was unemployed uh, and my, you know, I was, I don't think this is illegal. Your, you know, your family members would, you know, help you out. My mom's also a type 1 diabetic, so. Occasionally, she would help me out, send uh, syringes or yeah. insulin, if that is illegal. Well, <laughs> I have to cut that out. Let's but, just uh, say this. That may or may not have happened. We're not saying that definitely happened. We're saying that wouldn't it be nice if a mother helped us? <laughs> that, that's all. And so, yeah, yeah. So, and plus, we're not using your last name. And uh, I've got a very steadfast <laughs> uh, resolve. If 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 the coppers show up here, I'll, I'll stonewall them and don't worry about it. All right. And all right. so yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> so so you know, it's interesting. So your mom had your mom has type one also. Do you know how old she right. was when she was diagnosed? She was diagnosed about a month after me, actually. Oh, a solidarity. It moment. was very very it was very strange. Um, so yeah, just to go back to that for a second, uh, we didn't have a long history of diabetes in our family. Mm-hmm. I think my mom had a distant cousin who was diabetic and my dad had a distant cousin and that's about it. And then, so I, I was diagnosed after probably a week or two of constant, you know, thirst, uh, and, uh, also feeling really bizarre before meals, yeah. you know, that we, now we know that's bl- low blood sugar probably. Right. And, uh, just being fatigued all the time. And uh, so my mom, as a home health nurse, had all the equipment to be able to test your blood sugar and find out what's going on. So at some point, it was I was acting strange enough that she finally, uh, you know, took out the blood sugar meter, said, "You know what? I'm going to check your blood sugar." And I think from my rec- from my recollection, maybe this was September 9th, 1996. It was 20 years ago. Uh, As we figured out earlier in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've done the math. We've done the research. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it took three tests. The first test said it was too high. This would have been an, an old one-touch machine. Uh, the second test probably said, you know, 599 or something, whatever the max was. The third test, again, was too high. So we went to the hospital right after that. And uh, I think when they tested it there, it was in the 900s. Yeah. yeah, like really scary. Huh? Yeah, that's scary. I was gonna say Arden's was in the in the six hundreds, if I'm remembering correctly, and they told us that they thought she was a twenty four hours away from a coma, and so you're yeah. you're you're right on the edge there. And and then wait, then how much later? And your mom's diagnosed. It seems like it was about a month, month and a half or so. That's I think nuts. it was all the stress. So I'm not sure that I fully understand kind of everything that can, can trigger diabetes, but I don't think any of us fully understand all the things. Maybe it was already happening. I, I don't know. But right. uh, I think the theory at the time was that the stress had kind of triggered her. Of course, she's already, you know, taking care of diabetic patients at this point. Then I become a diabetic. And uh, 
so she's aware of kind of how to detect different things and then suddenly she starts to have the same symptoms uh, I think my dad's mom I think my grandmother had passed away around this time as well so just a lot of stuff kind of happening at, at once yeah. and uh, so maybe this was a couple months after I was diagnosed and uh, so she eventually sure enough became type 1 diabetic and we've <laughs> both been diabetic for 20 years. Wow, that's nuts. That really is crazy. Um, yeah. Did she use any of the technology? Or have you? Uh, was she there before you, or are you dragging her to it, or is she resistant? <laughs> How's it going? She, yeah, she had a, I think she still uses the, um, does One Touch have a pump? It's like a Primus or something. A Primus is a band. Um, <laughs> Primus is a band. It, it absolutely is. Uh, uh, it. it is uh, I don't know. Uh, Animus. There's another pump. It's not like a mainstream. Yeah. It's not one of the top three, but it's uh, but she maybe it's the Animus Prime. I think is what it's called. Okay, I think you're thinking Amazon Prime. But go ahead. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, for the price, is really kind of fantastic. Sometimes I, <laughs> I order stuff and it comes the next day. It's really amazing. It should uh, be sponsored. But hey, you know what? <laughs> Oh, and I like the way you're thinking. Uh, <laughs> but so so well that okay. So she uses a pump. Has she? Have you like? I'm interested in this because a lot of people with, that have diabetes, they know they don't want other people telling them how to handle their diabetes, and at the mm -hmm. same time, they're also cognitive. They don't want to tell anybody else. But have you proselytized yet? Have you been like, Mom? I I think you maybe need to look at this for the glucose monitor. Uh, not yet. So I just got the the CGM last week. Yeah, you're very new to it. And I yeah. called her yesterday after uh, one of my breaks and was telling her about <laughs> about your podcast. And uh, telling her a little bit, a little, little bit, a little bit of the things I've learned with the CGM. Right. So we only had a few minutes to talk, but I'll be following up with her later, probably this weekend. What's her name? Uh, Marsha. Hey, Marsha, what's up? I know you're gonna listen <laughs> to this because your son's on. So what's, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, that's cool. He's doing a great job. You did a nice job raising him, Marsha. Good for you. Congratulations. He's <laughs> a nice so, boy, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she'll probably if if. The pump that she has doesn't have CGM built in, which I don't think, I don't think that is possible yet. But yeah. uh, I think she'll be researching it. Yeah, I'll have to check in and see what her A1C is. It's just interesting. Like it's it's an odd, you know, it's an it's an interesting pairing. It's a mother son. It's it's the fact that you know you're seeing some of this technology before she is. That it's difficult mm -hmm. to tell people what to do. Your mom's, you know, I'm assuming in her fifties, you know, uh, older than you, um, you know, and so it's. She's in her twenties. She's in her twenties. Marsha's in her twenties. <laughs> She's twenty nine. Always good. Good for her. Uh, <laughs> and, and as I said, I don't actually remember how old I am. So we're all doing great, and nobody's good at math. We could all be six years old. There's no way to tell. Uh, but you know, like it could be hard to change, and at the same time, maybe you being the advocate for it is. Uh, is helpful. I mean, if you go all the way back to an episode with, um, I think Anisha from like from the ADA and her, there's a lot of diabetes in her family, and she was, mm -hmm. you know, she's at dinners telling people, look what you can do, and you know, and you know, some of the family members wanted to hear it and some didn't, and it's, you know, it's 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 interesting. I only have a perspective of, you know, basically what I want to happen with my daughter's management is what happens. You know, I don't, not that. You know, we, we talk about this a lot and go back and forth. I, I don't, you know, I, I've heard people, I've, I've gotten, you know, recently a message like, oh, my, my daughter doesn't want to do this. And I was, I, my answer back was, you know, a lot of people would probably disagree with this, but I, I, 
I'm not taking medical advice from an eight year old. I don't think you should either. You, you know, you know, like it's, I, she doesn't want to do it. I, my kid doesn't want to do like a ton of things, you, you know? And so, and I'll, you know, some people will say, Hey, well, it's their body. And I'm like, yeah, well it is, I guess, but I'm, you know, I'm responsible for it. So, you, you know, if you get over the hump, maybe, maybe one day the, you know, the sensor on them isn't something they think about anymore. Uh, you know, maybe it's not, maybe they're, maybe you're in the, you're going to have a fight. Like, I don't know. Maybe the fight's not worth it. There's a lot of maybes, but... I don't I d- think there'll be a fight. I mean, yeah, I can yeah, say yeah. this. The, the CGM sensor it seems to be less noticeable than the than the pump sensor. Yeah. yeah. The, the pump uh, being on your attachment. Channel. Yeah. I, I'm, now, I'm now amusingly imagining you holding your mother down, like putting a glucose mop. <laughs> Mom, I know you don't want to do it, but you got to hold still. And so, <laughs> you're making it worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's interesting. Like you know, it's just a different perspective. I mean, a, a son mm. and a mother, and um, instead of vice versa, I guess. So, well, good for you, man. This is really cool. Why do you have a uh, Why do you have such a good microphone? Uh, well, I'm uh, kind of a musician. Also, do a podcast uh, with the band that I'm in. So, oh, cool. What's the podcast called? Uh, Two Cheers Podcast. Nice, nice, very nice. Two Cheers, like T W O and cheers like cheers like like <laughs> like too many cheers <laughs> no. like one two like oh, like one you've two. had just enough cheers <laughs> <laughs> what kind of music do you guys play uh it's kind of what we call uh like 90s tinged uh <laughs> blissed out surf pop rock or something is i forget the official description that's on the page uh, it seems it seems like you've got it down <laughs> something to a, like that you've, you've got your elevator pitch all straight down so listen <laughs> listen i want to say to people never don't download my podcast but once you've listened to mine go to owens and uh and 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 give it a shot that's cool man it's uh it was really nice talking to you and and i'm really glad that you reached out i i wondered you know, I, I was so afraid that your story in the hospital was going to be what it was. But at the same time, we haven't told it before. And I think it is really valuable to hear. I think mm-hmm. people need to be, you know, it's easy to say you need to be your own advocate and things like that. But when you get put in a situation like that, where you feel like there's an authority figure who has control over you. And moreover, it's a, it's a person in a in a position of authority that you've been raised since birth to just sort of step back and listen to it's hard Mm. it's hard to speak up well if you're if you're the type of diabetic that's really engaged in taking control over over your levels and your your diabetes and you can keep things under control when you're not hospitalized uh the thing is when if you're being hospitalized especially by ambulance you don't have a choice you can't just say well i'd rather go to this other hospital if there are even more than one hospital around uh so, I mean, long story short, I was able to kind of write up a letter with all the things that, um, suggestions that I had for, for care for diabetics and things like that, and sent that up, up to the, I think the, uh, one of the people I, I engaged with at the hospital. And, you know, the only way I would know if anything changed is if I went back and was hospitalized again, so, which I'm avoiding. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Try not to run into any more, have cars run into you. That, that's definitely a good option uh, moving forward. I think you're smart about that. But no, I just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's difficult to speak up and you have to, you, you know, and hell, you're only going to be laying around the hospital for three weeks anyway. You might as well take good care of your blood sugar. Maybe it's a good time to, right. you know, learn something about it, but it's not like you're doing anything else. I mean, how many times can you watch Judge Judy before, 
you, you know, you gotta, you gotta bail. Um, <laughs> hey, Owen, would you, I don't know if you can, if the guys in your band would be cool with it or not, but if you share a track with me, like an MP3, I'll stick it in here at the end of the podcast so people can listen to it. Absolutely. We would love to do that. Oh, that's so cool. All right. Uh, did we not hit anything you wanted to talk about? Oh, let me go back. I made a list of... Did you really? Good for you. <laughs> not my first rodeo. <laughs> I t- Owen, you'd be horrified at how little I prepare for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, let's see. I've got too many things. Um, let me just pick one here. Oh, go ahead. Roll through it. If you get long, we'll just play the song over you talking. <laughs> just fade me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you've already talked to people about petting insurance and the some of the artificial and pancreas research stuff that's happening. Yeah, yeah. What about... Um, all right. <laughs> Here's a good topic I think any diabetic can appreciate. I think we all have weaknesses. Not everyone has a sweet tooth. So I like my weakness at this point in life is not candy. I'm not going after the butterfingers and the Snickers and things like that, but I can admit my weakness is ice cream. Mm-hmm. I just can't keep it in the house. <laughs> it's a problem. So I know if I'm I know that my weakness is ice cream, so if I do want to have ice cream, it's either going to be away from home, so it's just a small serving or what I do is I get the small serving size ice cream so either the ice cream cups or like ice cream bars because you those are a known quantity you're not taking some kind of unknown amount of of ice cream whenever you're eating right so i wonder if if you guys have experience with the particular you mentioned the iced tea earlier i don't know if that's a (laughs) that's a weakness or just like a one-off request i think the iced tea for her is just one of those things like it is so different from her daily life and it's sweet, but Mm -hmm. it's not too sweet and it doesn't happen very frequently. And I think it just makes her, I think it's interesting. I think it's got very little to do with diabetes. I think it's that like 12 year old, like standing at a counter ordering a a drink from a place where adults get drinks from. Like, you know what I mean? Like I think she just Mm -hmm. likes it. And so I don't make a big deal out of it. We don't make a big deal out of it. Um, but you are guessing when you're bolusing for it. It's just, you know, because what if she drinks half of it and just stops? Or right. you know, you know, or, or slams the whole thing down versus sips at it for forty five minutes. So it just there's so many variables, and but just don't make a big deal out of it. Does she have any other things that she's like? I really want to have this, and it's one of those things that's difficult to manage. You know, for sure. Like we don't. Mm-hmm. There was Chinese food in here the in the house the other <laughs> night, and um, to uh, celebrate the end of Big Brother, I wish you could see there were little girls in my house watching the last episode of Big Brother eating Chinese food. <laughs> It was like a, it was like a school night. I'm like, how did you get everyone to agree, their parents to agree to let them come out this late on a, on a school night? And she's like, what's the end of Big Brother? And I was like, oh, she said it like it was like, well, it's the Olympics. And I was like, yeah, right. And so, uh, uh, you know, you know, there are stuff like that. But you know, after time and time again, I'm always, oh, and maybe this is good for you to hear. I'm always buoyed by this very simple story that my nurse practitioner told me before we got our first uh, Dexcom CGM. And they were very, very new. It was probably the seven even before. And I think we started with seven plus. But she said she had this patient um, who their whole goal was to eat M&Ms without their blood sugar spiking. And it took them multiple, 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 multiple you know, days and weeks to figure it out. But eventually they figured out this much insulin at this time. I wait this long. I eat the mm-hmm. M&Ms. I don't get any spike. She just told me that, and I thought that opened up a world of ideas in my head. 
like, wow, if you could do that, you could do it with everything, you, you know? And so, um, I think that's the first thing that really like, like motivated me towards doing that. And that's what makes me think if there's something you have that you have trouble with, you know, if it's ice cream and you want to be mm. gluttonous with ice cream one time, I bet you there's a way to figure it out. I bet you there's a big enough pre-bolus um, that allows you to, you know, eat the first helping and then just lose your mind and go back and get another one where you can add more insulin or more basil and work yeah. and, and make it work. I bet you could work it. I'm, I'm now talking you, Owen, into eating poorly, <laughs> into eating poorly and becoming obese. Well, uh, thanks so, for the through, encouragement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through ice cream, I want you to gorge, <laughs> gorge yourself on ice cream so you can figure out the bolus for it. <laughs> Last time I had ice cream was before the CGM, so I'll be able to see it. <laughs> I'll be able to see what happens next time I so, so go let, in on some ice cream. I'm gonna do. Let me tell you this seriously. Then we got it. We're gonna wrap up because it's an hour. You figure out that ice cream and then come back on just for five minutes and tell people how you figured it out. And All right. Seriously, you know we'll put up a, a five minute bonus episode. Owen figured out ice cream, and you can tell people how you did it. But I really appreciate you coming on. This was fantastic, and uh, I wish everybody had your microphone. <laughs> It's uh, it's not too expensive, but yeah, thanks, thanks for your podcast too. It's it's really great. I've learned a lot just over the past week or so that I've been listening. It's and really, uh, it's, it's really helpful. I appreciate that. It, it really is a pleasure to do. So th thank you very much for saying that. All right. Yeah, we could talk for another hour or two. I'm sure if we didn't I <laughs> have think, time constraints. But. I think that's the problem. And people will stop listening in another couple of minutes. They'll be like, "How long <laughs> is this gonna go? When's the song coming?" They they promised. So all right, ready, everybody? Here comes the song. What's the song gonna be called, Owen? Let's just go ahead and say we're going to play Fireball. Fireball. This is one of the new singles from Two Cheers. It's on Bandcamp, iTunes, Spotify, streaming services. The internet is your friend. about the band at 2-cheers.com there's a link in the show notes follow them on twitter at 2-cheers music and they're on facebook 2-cheers facebook.com forward slash t-w-o-c-h-e-e-r-s thanks so much to Owen and the band for letting us use the music here at the end of the podcast
huge thank you to our sponsors, Omnipod and Dexcom, for making the podcast possible. Go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or dexcom.com forward slash juicebox and get started today with what I think is some of the best diabetes technology available. If you're enjoying the Juicebox podcast, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a rating and a review. But most importantly, please consider sharing it with a friend, finding another person living with type 1 diabetes or a parent of a child with type 1 and let them know, hey, you know, I've been listening to this podcast and it kind of rocks. Maybe you should try it out too. Podcasts are, uh, you know, they're, they're word of mouth kind of things. So we appreciate you sharing. I can tell you this podcast just crested 150,000 total downloads. I think it's going to hit 200,000 in maybe the next six weeks, maybe a little longer. Uh, It is definitely doubled and tripled and quadrupled in a very short amount of time. A lot of people hear this every day. And um, the notes I'm getting back about the podcast are encouraging and, and heartwarming. And if you are having a similar experience, really, please just share it with somebody else. I'll talk to you soon.